on this episode of the Magic Business Podcast. I specifically don't want a show that's even billed as a magic show. The show that I ran for 10 years attracted people who were into the paranormal as a subject, attracted believers, it attracted skeptics, it attracted people who were into storytelling and experimental theater. Yes, it also attracted matches fans and, and attracted out-of-towners who wanted to know about Chicago history. That's a much bigger swath than just going after magic fans. Welcome to the Magic Business Podcast, where we share insightful and delightful inner secrets about the business of magic. This is where magic professionals present their real-life experiences and some of their most guarded secrets to help further your career in the magical arts. I'm your host, Christian Painter, in partnership with the MagicOracle.club, where you can hear all of our Magic Business Podcasts. Neil Tobin is the producer, playwright, and performer behind Supernatural Chicago, a theater show that ran every week for 10 straight years. It was named one of the top 10 things to do in Chicago by TripAdvisor. Other theater productions he has written, produced, and performed in Chicago include The Houdini Seance, Palace of the Occult, and Near-Death Experience. National appearances include Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel, Dead Famous on Biography, Forbidden History on the Science Channel, and the DVD release of Michael Keaton thriller, White Noise. And in the magic and mentalism community, he's also known for creating original performance material and sharing it through trade publications and major distributors. Please welcome Neil Tobin. Thanks, Christian. Good to be here. Hey, I'm excited. Uh, now, I have seen your shows. I have seen uh, three different shows of yours. And one of the things that I found interesting was none of those shows was a magic show or at least they're not billed like a magic show and that's really what i want to talk to you about so tell me about that when i do my work i i'm not really interested in that and from a business standpoint i specifically don't want a show that's even billed as a magic show because bottom line magic fans are a really small market if you're going to build yourself as a magic show and you know, and you're not a family show. You're not. You're not specifically aiming. You know, you're not doing Saturday matinees and looking specifically for family crowds. Um, well, it isn't really something that it isn't a market that I'm going after. I okay. I think it's much more interesting to go after a much larger market than that. Uh, to use one of my shows as, as an example, uh, the show that I ran for ten years, an ostensibly haunted nightclub in Chicago. It was called Supernatural Chicago, and that show because it wasn't billed as a magic show it was actually a show about chicago paranormal history that used magic as an interactive device to get people into the storytelling that show attracted people who were into the paranormal as a subject it attracted believers it attracted skeptics it attracted people who were into storytelling and experimental theater Yes, it also attracted magic fans and, and attracted you know, out-of-towners who wanted to know about Chicago history. So that's a much bigger swath than just going after the people who are self-identified magic fans. Any magician who went there would have said, oh, yes, you're, you're doing magic tricks. We understand that. But to the audience, I don't think they saw it as magic tricks. They, they saw it as the, the, the vehicle that you were tearing the narrative of the ghost shows, correct? Exactly right. Uh, and that's how I, in all my shows, that's how I try to use 
the magic and mentalism, not just, hey, here's a here's a cool thing. So I don't write shows about magic. Understood. Now, <laughs> not only not only did that help you in uh, the marketing, because as you say, it, it, it it's not a magic show now. So I don't know. It's, it's a show about ghosts. So I'm going to come to that. Um, because many people have an interest in ghosts, especially if it's Chicago specific mm -hmm. where you live. But um, how how did that work for the marketing? Like you're not marketing a magic show, so how did you market it specifically? I got into the theater listing as a theater show. Was anyone ever disappointed when they got there because oh, it's just a magic show? It was. It wasn't just a magic show. the The magic and mentalism that I was using really took up fifty percent of the playing time. The rest of the time was straight up storytelling. One of the pieces of advice that I got from Eugene Berger when he had seen the show was that I shouldn't have to feel that every story needed magic even because the strength of the storytelling was such that that wasn't necessary. And I'm sure many people after the show shared ghost stories with you. Oh, every time. I mean, and, and that's what, that was one of the greatest compliments I could receive after show here. I've spent, you know, in excess of 60 minutes, closer to 90 minutes telling stories about ghosts and such. And after the show, here, here are all these people who sat through all that. And then they wanted to tell me their stories. It was fantastic. And on top of that, I would say in Chicago, then you, you get, didn't get known as, Oh, he's the magician. You got known as here's the expert on uh, paranormal activity in Chicago. Well, yeah, yeah. I was. I mean, <laughs> there there were other experts of paranormal activity in Chicago. I mean, several authors. I mean, yes, works, there's other people, but I mean, you're one of them. You know, now. that you I were, I relied on. Neil is very humble, and he doesn't want to uh, brag. But you were asked many times to be on radio or television and talk about the paranormal. That's true. Yeah, and in, in fact, I I considered it uh, at the time kind of an accomplishment to actually be invited on a show and not be asked to do magic, but just to, to be interviewed as an expert on the paranormal. Now you've positioned yourself differently in the magic market, right? This means you don't really have any competition in that, in that regard. Right. It's, I mean, people have asked, you know, uh, are you a magician? Are you a mentalist? And I bill myself when I perform as a necromancer, which, uh, is a category containing one person. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that does cut down on competition. But you make a habit of this in that um, your other show, Near, Del Near Death Experience, also was not, re it's a magic show, not about magic, correct? Correct, correct. No, it's about uh, our evolving relationship with mortality. Yeah, keep going. That's tell, pretty heavy tell stuff. About huh? that show, yes, it's very heavy. <laughs> well, it was uh, interesting. No, I mean, I had I had done Supernatural Chicago, and then I did a completely different show uh, that was a, a historical show about uh, a European psychic who I was very interested in, Eric Jan Hannison. And then I wanted to go back and write another show, but I didn't want it to be just Supernatural Chicago Part Two. And so I thought about, well, why do people what? Why are we interested in ghost stories? Why do we tell these things? And I look deeper at it, and it's really a way for us to laugh at, come to terms with, make fun of uh, our own fear of death in some way. So why right. not look? So why not look at that? And so I wrote a whole show about 
the specifically American uh, evolution of just the dance we have around mortality. And uh, it, it took shape and I wanted to do it in an interesting and appropriate locale. So I was able to do it actually at uh, a historic chapel in one of the oldest cemeteries in Chicago. I saw the pictures of that and it looked fabulous. Oh, it was a, a breathtaking building to be able to perform in. And it's usually closed to the public. They only open it for specific private occasions. And that they asked me to perform there was just unbelievable. I did a, a spring run there in, in 2018, and they asked me back for the fall, so I did it again. So now your third show, Hannison, tell me about that one. Okay, so the, the name of that show is Palace of the Occult, mm-hmm. and that was uh, his historical biography of the most famous psychic entertainer in Europe uh, in the early 30s and 20s. Uh, He was a fascinatingly gray individual. He was very ambiguous in that he, was he real or was he not as a psychic? Was he a a member of the upcoming Nazi party or was he secretly Jewish? Uh, there were lots of questions about this guy, and he, as a story in the United States, is less well known than than say in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a great opportunity to shed some light on what is a largely untalked about chapter in World War II history. And what was fascinating about the show is you go through this guy's life, and we see the uh, the struggle. Not only is the their magic in it, the magic is good, but you're left pondering some questions yourself, right? Right. Well, and and because it isn't a show about magic, because it's a show about an actual human being with who has importance within the context of Holocaust history and World War II history, this was a show that I could absolutely see bringing to perform in uh, areas that. Uh, uh, say, like Holocaust museums, for example, uh, areas that that attract uh, a large number of people who have an interest in that subject. So it isn't just, once again, hey, want to see a magic show? Right. And and you've had uh, people actually approach you about, hey, can we take this in this direction? Well, right, right. I mean, it's an honest-to-God two-act play with a, with a real narrative arc. The fact that I also, in the context of that show, get to do material out of Hannison's repertoire is is frosting on the cake. I think what's interesting about your shows is, first of all, we're looking at the subject. So you create a subject that's not magic, whether it's uh, the paranormal of Chicago or what our relationship with death is, and then this World War II narrative. And so we're already in, because that's interesting. And, so, and then you find, oh, cool, there's some cool magic or special effects in this show. So you kind of have a double hit with them, don't you? Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. A personal standpoint, I like being able to push what we do in that direction because it makes people view what we do as magical performers uh, in the context of theater instead of just, hey, you're a magician, you know, do magic for me, monkey boy. You know, it, it isn't that sort of situation. I just love being able to push in that direction. Give me your thought process when you're sitting back and you're thinking, all right, I want to I want to write a show. Where, where where do you come from first? What's your first thoughts in putting these shows together? My 
my starting point, well, is just to expose myself to everything around me that might spark an idea. Mm-hmm. I just try to be open to things. I, I read books, I look at art, I watch movies and listen to podcasts. And could, you just never know when something is just going to make a light bulb go off on t- above your head and, and make you say, oh, wait, there's, there's something in that. I could, I could do something with that. I mean, the, the Hannison, the first Hannison biography that I opened up, I had no idea. I was in the middle of doing Supernatural Chicago at the time. I, I wasn't really looking to write a book, to write another show. And I was, I had heard about this guy and I, I found a biography of him and I opened it and I started reading it. And I'm probably no further than 10 pages in when I said, oh God, this has got to be my next show. I like that because I think too many times magicians only think of, let me design my next show around this parade of tricks that I'm going to have. I have a new trick, so that's a new show, as opposed to giving the show some uh, texture. Well, and if you start if you start from the narrative rather than starting from a trick, you're more likely to then be able to evolve magical repertoire that's specific to that show and maybe something that you've never seen before. If I could underline stuff in an audio recording, I would underline the sentence you just said, which is so important, I think, to making a show more than just a parade of tricks. That's fantastic. Not only do you have to put together this unique show, but now they're so unique, you have to find unique venues for them. How do you do that? Well, uh, just, just to give your listeners a little context. So Supernatural Chicago took place in this big looks looks like an, an old castle. It's this big Romanesque structure turned in the last century, dark granite, crenellated building. Uh, it looks terrifying. In fact, they, they dolled it up for Halloween gorgeously. And it immediately set the tone when people arrive, just to, you, you just feel the sense of ominousness before you walk in. And yes, to go yes, from and that- So you, you went into this, and you could tell it was an older style building. And what was great is when you came in, then you went kind of downstairs. And that's always the first, <laughs> the hairs that go, oh, we're going downstairs to the basement. Okay. You know, you sat down, you're already kind of in that feeling like this. It was definitely not a traditional theater space, but it fit the show perfectly. And it had a dance floor and there were uh, aimable lighting instruments and it had a soundboard. So I was able to to hook up background music and I was able to aim instruments so things were lit and, you know, set up 50 chairs, if that, mm-hmm. uh, in a semicircle around the dance floor area and, and light a bunch of candles and we're set. You didn't get the feel that you were in a theater space as much as you felt like you were sitting around getting ready to hear some creepy stories. <laughs> and, you know, as you talked about, you had a soundboard and all that. That is uh, that was not noticeable at all to uh, anyone who was sitting there. Right. You didn't have that feeling of a production. You had a feeling like this is creepy and that guy's going to be telling me creepy stuff. Right. And the owner, the underscoring was subtle. But but to to now to answer your question, uh, how does one obtain an unconventional space to perform in? And why do you want an unconventional space to begin with? That, uh, that is exactly the question I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Thanks, so, so, so why one would want an unconventional space? Um, for me, 
I love doing site-specific theater in that if your site can impart an authentic sense of, well, history related to whatever it is you want, you're trying to present, something, hopefully something that relates to your narrative, if your site reflects that in some way, your audience can feel that. Your audience senses that and, and the mood is set before they're even inside. And that, that can't even hold a candle to even the best constructed theatrical space where you're creating a set. I mean, the audience knows that that's artifice. So, so whenever I can, I love using actual environments. It, 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 it just gives, credi gives credibility to the theater that you're creating. Supernatural Chicago ran for 10 years. Yes. And that's, that's a very long time. What'd you learn? I learned that that was a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but people, and people would of, love no, to have no, a show. Really, oh, and it was great. It was, and I really loved it. But, I, but as, a, as a performer, uh, and I, I have a confession to make, I do not just perform for a living. I do other things too. And mm -hmm. so I have the rare luxury of being able to say, you know, I've done artistically about it all I can with this property. I'm ready to, I'm ready for another challenge so I can afford to just hang this up. Right. And that was quite and a after shock 10 for years me, I did. To be honest with you, yeah, I was, yeah. I was quite shocked. Well, sure. Yeah. But I was, I was ready. I was ready to try something else. But, but, but what did I learn? I learned, well, and it goes back to, to being able to market and promote when you have a new show it's newsworthy. And particularly if you've done a good job making it unlike anything else. I mean, I could, I could bill it as, you know, here's a spooky show by a necromancer in a haunted nightclub. Yeah. Okay. And you've got an article, right? But to sustain interest after that initial hit is hard. And coming to terms with the idea that to be newsworthy is an ongoing process. Uh, I had to really look at the calendar and rack my brain is so how can i spike it what can i do to for an ongoing source of newsworthiness in the show so are there major holidays that i can key into in some way so that i can send out a press release and, and get notice for it uh when when's the show's anniversary so we can celebrate it make a big deal out of it send out a press release uh every time a friday the 13th rolled along my show was on it. I, we, we gave out cupcakes to the audience every Friday the 13th. Uh, devil's food, of course. And the pictures of me with, with, with cupcakes with little skulls on them and me with a big knife ready to cut it, th those, those were gold. This podcast resides on the magicoracle.club. And at this moment, you are the magic oracle, Neil. <laughs> so, so if someone came to you and they're trying to figure out how to do the narratives and the things that you're doing. Uh, even for, for me during this interview, it's been tough for me to sometimes construct some of the questions that I really want to ask you because you, you, you're you such a unique uh, product. What's the question that you would like people to ask, but they never do? I would love for magicians to ask me why they shouldn't do magic. Wow. I'll explain. I'll explain. In my own development, 
as a performer. I was, and I'm probably nine out of 10 people who are listening to this thing, if not more, uh, were, were performers as kids. We're doing magic when, when they were children and just never stopped. I was, I was a, a boy magician and then I hung it up and did not touch it throughout high school, throughout college. Uh, and then I came back to it. I rediscovered it after college. Okay. And I found that break to be crucial to my development as a performer because that period of time allowed me a chance to gain a fresh perspective on what magic performance was all about, who I was as a person, what I wanted to get out of it. I, it gave me a chance to look at the old material I was doing and hate it. <laughs> <laughs> we know that feeling. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then and then on figuring out why I hated it, figure out what I would like and what where I wanted to go as a performer from that point on. And during that big break, I learned lots of other things that changed that perspective. It wasn't just time. It was also learning theater and you know being in plays and seeing what theater can do, uh, and you know and 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 making art and learning music. I mean, all reading lots of books, all all these other avenues of education that changed my perspective. So that when I came back to magic, I saw it with a completely different set of eyes and was able to create material that hadn't existed before. And so what I would say as the oracle to, to other folks is if it is at all uh, economically possible for you, set a, set a time. I mean, it doesn't need to be, you know, four, six or eight years. It could be, you know, a month. It could be a few weeks. But whatever it is, take some time off where you don't touch magic at all. Don't read a book about it. Don't play with any of your tricks that you know. Don't read up on the new ones. Ignore the emails from the magic shops that want to sell you new ones. Just follow some other paths. And hopefully after that, you can come back and be fresh and, and attack your work in a new way. I think people are gonna listen to this podcast and evaluate maybe how they're approaching their show, not only from the aspect of making their show richer, but that is going to set them aside marketing-wise. Thanks so much for being on the show, Neil. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Christian. Thank you for listening to our Magic Business Podcast. Please visit the magicoracle.club, where you can hear all of our Magic Business Podcasts and enjoy a vast array of additional magical knowledge. Now, if you're having a rough day, I want you to keep this in mind. Every problem is a gift, because without problems, we would not grow. As always, we at the Magic Oracle wish you continued success on your path in the magical arts. 